Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And um, today we're going to be talking about the body love card, the spiral. And the goddess is, she's sort of in the middle of a labyrinth. She's got a beautiful little ribbon that her little deer power animal is holding in its mouth. And she's holding in her hand and she's standing in the middle of the spiral. For me, all my work with eating disorders, body hatred, and my own recovery as well. The spiral was such an important part of my life recovery-wise. And I'll just read what it says. It's just, it was a very powerful tool for me to remember and to know. The recovery process is not linear, but rather like a spiral. As we begin our journey of recovery around the spiral, we will meet many layers of life experiences that trigger disordered eating and body hatred behaviors. Even though we are once again doing these behaviors, we are not at the same starting point in the spiral. As we take each experience and use it as a building block in our healing, we move ourselves along the spiral. When we are consciously working on our recovery, Every experience teaches us, giving us more strength and wisdom. Eventually, we develop more effective coping tools to deal with these life experiences and the disordered eating and body hatred behaviors that are no longer necessary. So what all these words mean to me is that I started on a recovery and learned how to intuitively eat or was working on intuitively eating, and I would hit a stressor and sort of go back to binging. But I would work myself out of that because I had some tools, and then I'd go around the spiral a little bit more and be sort of on my own side, being my best friend, having my back, and being with my feelings. And then I'd hit a stressor, and I'd go back, and I wouldn't know how to feel my feelings, and I would just go into numbness or denial, and then I would work myself out of it, and then I'd go around the spiral, and I would be working on accepting the body that I had, and then I'd hit a stressor. I'd go back to hating my body, hating myself, not liking anything about me, and I'd work myself out of it, and I'd go around the spiral. And that kind of became my life, (laughs) that I was always working on something. I wasn't always struggling with something, but I was always working on something. And that's just the way it is. I had this childlike expectation of recovery of that I would get this issue done and then I would be happy and I would never have to deal with it again. And that just isn't true. I will always have to deal with something because human, I'm human. I have a human brain, a human body, and there's always something. And I 
really didn't see the tsunami of aging coming when I was 30. (laughs) So there really is something to do. I have a very good friend dying right now, and she is having to deal with this body that's just giving up. Her mind is not giving up, but her body is definitely saying, I'm tired, I'm going to lay down. So I can see myself and looking around me at the world that there's always something to sort of work on, and that is okay. It's not I'm doing anything wrong. It's not that, oh, you always have to be negative. It's that there's stuff to do. There's stuff to work on. There's stuff to learn. There's stuff to process. The other thing about the spiral that speaks to me is in other maybe addictions, addiction world, if you're a heroin addict and then you go back to heroin, then that's not really great. (laughs) But food is not like that because I don't ever have to take heroin or smoke or drink or any, I don't ever have to do those things to live well, but I do have to eat. And I do have to live in the body that I have. And I do have to take care of my feelings. So that's the spiral, is to learn how to do that and always learning. But going back to a drug, there is no learning. There's just that. But an eating disorder, if you go back and forth with your eating disorder, you're not falling off a wagon because you're never on a wagon. You're just learning how to feed yourself well. You're just learning how to take care of your body. You're just learning how to feel your feelings. You're not on a wagon that you can fall off of. So it's a different model, I think, than that you have to go back to square one. Because part of my eating disorder of recovery was the messiness of learning what does work and what doesn't. So for me, I know that a restrictive diet doesn't work. And I know that hating my body doesn't work. And I know that just pretending that I don't have any feelings, that doesn't work. (laughs) But I had to learn that. So I'm so happy to be talking about this really wonderful card and this idea of the spiral in recovery with a wonderful woman who I know of her work, but I never really knew her until we became Facebook friends. And we are two peas in a pod, (laughs) I think, (laughs) on opposite coasts. So I'm going to let her introduce herself, tell us all who she is and what she's doing these days, and, and then we'll have a talk about the spiral and recovery. Okay, thank you so much for having me. My name is Shavise Underhill Turner. Shavise Turner, I don't know why I threw my maiden name in there, but I was thinking about Facebook and that's how it shows up there. And I am currently the Chief Strategy and Policy Officer for the National Eating Disorders Association. And I came into that position through a merger with the organization that I founded in 2008, which was the Binge Eating Disorder Association. So we are now one big happy family at NIDA. And I consider myself both an eating disorder activist and a fat activist. I live in a a fat body. And for those of you who may be cringing at my use of the word fat, I want to 
assure you that I think of that only in a very neutral or positive light. Neutral in that it really is, it's just an adjective and it does describe my body. And positive in that it is the body I have. And I have learned to come to accept and embrace that body. Doesn't mean I love it every day or every minute, but it's mine and I'm very proud of it. So that's where that comes in. You know, I'm part of a group of people that really believe we need to reclaim the word fat and that it, it really is, it's just a descriptor, but humans have put a negative connotation on that. And, and there's a reason they have put that negative connotation. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about that as we go along, but very happy to be here. I'm so really proud of you to be here too. And it reminds me of like in the early 80s when there would be marches in San Francisco of, you know, I'm queer, I'm here, get over it, you know, mm-hmm. or <laughs> it's sort of like exactly same kind of thing. Like it is what it is. This is how I came and this is how I am. And how do I love this? And then how do I love these wrinkles? And then how do I love this thing about me? And how do I love this thing about me? And if we didn't live in the culture that we live in, it would be okay to be whatever size we show up in. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it's, there are lots of reasons why people are in fat bodies. And there's a big piece of it that is genetic. And there are always going to be fat people. And there is the influence of our culture, which is always pushing us to restrict. And our bodies are so amazing. When that happens, they go, wait, 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 wait. Are we in a famine? Oh, we, we must be in a famine. Okay, I'm going to hold on to everything I can. And I'm going to push you to a higher weight in case this famine starts again. It's basic biology, and this is no secret. It's not like I'm sharing anything new or, you know, the scientists know this. Right. <laughs> and yet they keep pushing us to go through this process of lose, gain, lose, gain. So um, I just want to acknowledge that because I think that it's important that people understand that some of us are not in what may have been our natural body size, and that's okay too, because we're part of this culture and we all were taught something that, that was not correct or right for us. Yeah, I agree. That's what I have seen in the 32 years I've been doing this since I founded Beyond Hunger. People came in all kinds of shapes and sizes, but to a person, they thought their body was wrong. No matter what they looked like when they walked in the door, or they thought it was going to get wrong, if they didn't do their eating disorder or their diet disorder, I would say. (laughs) So there's so much fear about some arbitrary ideal that even if you attain that ideal, you're scared that it's going to go away, that the tiger will be let out of the cage and it will ravish the village, you know, (laughs) and it's just so crazy. With that ideal comes a lot of privilege, right? because our society is set up for the thin ideal. It is people in bodies that are the cultural norm, straight size body, thin body, average size body, whatever you want to say. Our chairs are made for that. Everything about our 
culture is set up in that direction. And when we can see parallels with other civil rights issues, because our culture is set up to value and promote whiteness. White culture is the dominant culture here in the United States. And so that is given the highest value, the same with thinness. And so it really is a civil rights issue because people are discriminated against and harmed because of their body size. And they buy into it. I bought into diets and changing my body to the point of developing a mental health illness called an eating disorder. I don't want to dismiss the biological aspects, but we really have to look at why this happens. Yeah, I completely agree. And I know that for me, I have gone to other countries and seen in the windows of stores different sizes of bodies. And this was a long time ago, probably 20 years ago. And it was such an eye-opener. It was like, why can't everybody do that? Why aren't we doing that in this country? Well, people will say to me when they hear what I do, well, I think that there's more of a body acceptance now, isn't there? Because I see that there's bigger models now. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you right now because you're not even getting the big picture. And that is part of, if you want to get into a bit of theory, that's part of a dominant theory, a dominant cultural theory. So the people who are in the dominant group, and in this case, thin people, they always believe things are getting better for oppressed people. Always, always. And they will point it out, you know, well, things are a lot better these days than it used to be for X group. And the people in that group are like, "Mm, we can tell you some pretty good stories that will give you a better perspective. Yeah, it's like Black Lives Matter. No, all lives matter. Shut up with that, you know? <laughs> it's, that's not the point. I love talking to you about this issue because I feel like this is such an important idea to get out into the world that we don't talk very much about. I just am really glad that you brought all this up and we brought this up and we talked about it a little bit. So I'm wondering, so you picked the spiral card. I'm wondering what this means to you, especially given what your work is and your life. Well, I think that it spoke to me at this particular time because in my day job, I do a lot of public policy work. So I work on the federal level with Congress, and then we also do state work and Right now, we are gearing up to build a coalition of organizations that are going to begin fighting for weight and height changes in the law that will affect healthcare and employment, all of the places where weight and height can exclude people from their rights as humans. And we have several big initiatives going on. But this is sort of a dream come true initiative for me uh, around an issue that I want to work on. And as I have been giving it a lot of thought, I know that quite like my recovery, this process of, of making sure that people in any size body have rights and that they're not excluded from 
things based on their body size and shape and, and height, I know that there are going to be big roadblocks. And I know that there are going to be people who doubt us along the way. And that, I think, mirrors my journey with an eating disorder so closely in that because I was in a fat body, people did not believe that I could have an eating disorder. At various points along the way, I had atypical anorexia. And so, you know, I was living in a, in a fat body, but I had anorexia. And I was never formally diagnosed with that because no eating disorder clinician would have ever, you know, in those days thought about that. And so while my thin counterparts who had anorexia were sent to eating disorder treatment, I was sent to weight management programs. Oh, God. Let's put some fuel on that fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, and that's exactly it. I learned how to do my eating disorder better going through those programs. And so 25 years of losing the same 70 pounds over and over and over again because I was always funneled into something that was actually the direct opposite of what treatment should have looked like. Exactly. I should have been taught about not restricting instead of restricting more. Right. Listening to your body instead of overruling your body. Exactly. And there was absolutely none of that. And so I fell into every spiral imaginable in terms of shame and self-loathing. And I was very good at getting through those spirals. I was proficient at, at them. And so when I finally found a therapist who got it and started to teach me a different way, I didn't believe that that recovery spiral was possible for me. I thought, no, 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 this is the wrong place for me to go. So I didn't even want to start down the path. And when I would start down the path, it's funny, when I looked at this, I thought, wow, this this looks like those puzzles that when you were a little kid in a restaurant you would get and it would be a spiral or something and you would, I forget what they're called, you go and then you hit a dead end and you have to find another way. and Like a little maze. A maze, yes. And that's what I thought of when I saw the spiral because I was constantly, even with my therapist, finding new ways that even she didn't understand because at that time, even though she was supportive of me and was teaching me not to restrict, in those days it was just called the non-diet approach. And so when I would hit these roadblocks, sometimes neither of us knew what to do. So she was learning right alongside with me. I see that clearly now, and I think she would probably agree with that now. I don't know for sure, but I think so. There came times when I would just go right back to the beginning. And one of those times, I actually, after the birth of my first son, I experienced what is called peripartum cardiomyopathy, and I went into heart failure. Wow. And scary. Freaked out. Mm-hmm. Very scary because some people don't make it after, after that. I was fortunate and I did. And I was convinced the only way to get well was to lose weight, even though I'd been through so much 
already. And so I opted for lap band surgery. Mm-hmm. And immediately after coming out of that surgery, I knew, I knew I did the wrong thing. And a year after that is when I started Beta because I just felt like there's nothing out there for me. I need a community. So it was a big risk and it was a leap of faith that I was going to find somehow people who were going to understand this and come together. And I was fortunate I did. And that was the point that I learned about health at every size and intuitive eating. And so, you know, the people that became my board members became my teachers. And I wrote a book with Amy Pershing, who's a wonderful therapist in Ann Arbor, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, who is really a binge eating disorder expert. And she taught me so much and my life changed completely. That's when I really became a fat activist and someone who said to herself, I'm not going to put up with this in the eating disorders community anymore. I'm done. So many people are being harmed. So, and then I had to work my way through the spiral again and eventually had the lap band removed. And, you know, I've done a tremendous amount of work. But like you, I feel for me, I know there are people who talk about their eating disorder and feel that they're recovered. And I know that doesn't mean to them that they'll never have any issues or experience behaviors. But they feel like the majority of it is is finished for them in that realm. I don't 100% feel that way. I, I, I don't feel that way. I feel, especially for people like myself who went for so long without proper treatment and was harmed in so many ways, really traumatized in treatment, that it's something that is you know, my relationship with food is so different than it used to be. My relationship with my body is so different. As you said, there are still so many things to work on constantly. And I'm 52 now. I'm seeing wrinkles. I'm experiencing lots of other physical differences. And there are still days I look in the mirror and body check, even though nothing has changed in 10 years in terms of like my body size. So it's there and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of that. To me, it's just part of the journey. And I think for people who experience that, naming it and not feeling shame around it is really, really important because God forbid I did relapse. I would want to be able to be honest with my community and tell them that and tell them that I need help. And I don't know if saying I'm done, I'm finished, I'm this is over for me allows for that, especially if you're someone in the community who is recognized for the work that you do. And what you're describing is that this is not a black and white issue. I, I often say getting recovery for myself, I didn't also get a lobotomy. So I still have all the thoughts. Like I'm a big enough bowl to have all the tools, but have all the behaviors and all the thoughts and all the let's make a deals. I have all of that and I get to choose whatever. And sometimes, again, the spiral, why it works so well for me is, oh, wow, I need to work myself kind of 
about through this one. Isn't this interesting? This came up now. Wonder what's really happening. <laughs> it's not about the food. And it's not about the fat. And it's not about whatever we think it is about. It's usually always some other little thing underneath it all. But you describe so beautifully that idea of that, if I just lose the weight, then it will be okay. And I feel like that was spoon-fed to me as a child by my mother who was always on a diet and always hated her body, and maybe even my grandmother who was had Alzheimer's and thought she was too fat. And it was generational as women to not be okay, to be too short, too tall, too thin, too fat, too too, 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 too flat-chested, too big-busted, too... I mean, it was, you got a big butt, you don't have any butt. You know, just on and on. I have sisters and cousins and aunts, and, you know, we all are walking around with this idea that if we just get our body dialed in according to, what, some standard that we don't even know that we have, then we'll be okay. So even you, as you're just struggling through your eating disorder, you have to deal with this other thing about, yeah, but, you know, you wouldn't have that eating disorder if you just lose weight. That's the eating disorder talking. <laughs> you know, it's not Exactly. Oh, my God. Like the eating disorder was telling me how to heal from the eating disorder. Does that make sense? Right. Crazy making, crazy making. It is. And our culture just supports it. It's so ingrained. A hundred percent. And I don't know if there's a powerful book that was written recently called Fear of the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Sabrina Strings is a researcher in California, actually. And she looked at the history of, of fatness and where our fear came from. And it really was during the slave trade when slaves began to appear in Europe and white women wanted to differentiate themselves from black women. Prior to that, women with more, you know, meat on the bones, as it were, were considered voluptuous and lovely. And as slaves began to appear in the society, they became thinner and thinner. And worked really hard at becoming thinner and thinner. And that has only grown into a place where we are now, where we have fought back during the body positivity movement and said, we don't want to be judged on our looks and our body size. And the medical community has said, okay, well, then we're going to judge you on your health. Yeah, exactly what's happening right now. Exactly. And so it's a new way of fat phobia really being integrated into our shame about our bodies and that we should be losing weight for our health. And it has done nothing but actually made us all fatter. Yes, it has not. And more ill. Thank you. And not because of the fat necessarily. No. And I'm, I'm not saying that increase in fat storage doesn't have some physical side effects. But what I am saying is that the discrimination, we know that health discrimination in other areas makes people sicker. 
And there are lots of reasons why. And so those health disparities also take place around fatness in in the human body. And weight stigma and phobia, they are a major factor in creating illness for people in those bodies. And we have to consider that. We do. So I'm getting this sort of wrap this up kind of signal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm wondering, let's make this part one. Could I have you back at a different time? Because I just feel like this is such a huge... I don't even want to say issue. It's just a big conversation that I feel is so important for us to have. My mind was just exploding with other avenues to go with this. And you have so much knowledge and you're right in there in that, you know, going to Congress and doing things that are hopefully going to change laws and that will hopefully change minds and hearts. And But I just want to validate what you just said about that I've heard it, well, the people getting sick with COVID are people that already have issues. And the top one is obesity, you know, and it's really, this is where we're going to go, really? Or and if you look at the statistics, it's uh, actually not the top. And it's not. Or no. the people who are getting sick are, they're older people of color. No, no, not true, <laughs> you know? There's young it's, people. I mean, it is hitting marginalized and underserved communities harder. That's the and point, yeah. A lot of that is that these people are on the front lines. They're working in That's right. lower paying jobs that are our front line, unfortunately, at grocery stores and other jobs. And so, of course, they're going to have it. And that's the part that they leave out. It's just the person's fault for how unhealthy they are, that they got this disease. And all of us other people who don't have it, we're doing things right. I mean, it just is such a mind. It's really, you know, you have privilege. Yeah. You have privilege. That's what it is so difficult for people to to understand. Or to admit. Because then they'd have to do something about it or at least have a change of heart. But anyway, so to give people a little bit of... (laughs) So this is a big issue, and at least we're talking about it. So before we leave for part one, let's give people a little hope of how to get through the spiral and get to a place where they're they're okay. They're okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to be with themselves, and they're going to be okay. Yes, they will. Their recovery is absolutely possible and it does take time i think we have to be realistic about that but it it absolutely is possible and it feels really good in whatever body you land in once you're in recovery yes and there's help as you know because you are the helper <laughs> i try to be well you are <laughs> you've got a whole organization people that are working to be of service to people who are struggling with this. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. Yes. It's very fulfilling and frustrating and exhausting and enthralling and all of that. And and I feel very, very lucky and fortunate to, to do the work I do because I know how much it means to individuals and family members. And it's a big deal, this mental health condition. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We'll get a, a maybe a little while to digest, quote unquote. <laughs> Sounds good. Pardon the pun to digest yes. <laughs> the what we've talked about today and then have you back on to talk more about this. This is such an important topic, especially right now. I mean, it couldn't be more timely, I don't think. It's always timely, actually. (laughs) Yeah. It is. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's notaboutfood.com. Thanks. Thanks.